Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number 165 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Hello, so first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to episode number 165 of May 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is, I'm just give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 26-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash certain. Each week of this podcast to take one song by one artist in the 60s with a show in two parts. First part of the show to talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks and do my own personal analysis on the range of the song. It was soon called the chords, my own lyrics. And uh, in, in, in the next part of the show, the part two, I talk about the history behind that song. And that part of the show to talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, who recorded it originally if it was a cover version, and I play a little snippet of that too, and I talk about the history behind the songwriter that wrote the song and the producer that produced it and the artist that recorded it, talk about the history behind the musicians that played on the song, and talk about whether that be the band members or if it was a solo artist and there were studio musicians or a group, a vocal group, and there were session players, and uh, talk about the history behind the studio the song was recorded at and where the studio is located at to the geographical location the city the song was recorded at and the scene the city the city came out of where the song was recorded at and uh, the peak musician song made up originally on the billboard hot 100 charts or first came out the history of my label of songs released on in the year when the song was released all that is in the second part of the show now before you want to least speak episode of the podcast i want to let you guys know something really really cool so i know i've been saying this for a very long time um, but there, this, there, there is a pot. This is definitely going to happen next week. I know I keep saying every week, Oh, I'm going to have this person. on. I'm going to have this person on and it just never happens because of repetitive schedule conflicts and things that get in the way. But this one is actually happening. Um, there will be no, spe- you know, regularly scheduled podcast episode next week where it's part one or part two because next week there is absolutely going to be an interview episode next week it is scheduled is in the bag it's happening i i mean i i would be fucking so mad if it doesn't happen but it's definitely it seems it looks like this is definitely going to happen i'm going to have an interview episode next week and I know it's, you know, it, it's been a while, you know, because I've been trying to get an in-person guest on, but that's been hard to plan out because of what's happening right now with COVID. Um, but it's that will happen eventually, probably in February, March with Brooks Arthur. But this one is cool because um, it's actually going to be over the phone. But what's even cooler is that this is actually going to be an in-person, not so, sorry, this is actually going to be uh, an over-the-phone interview, but I'm going to have two people on. So I'm going to basically do a conference call. I'm going to call both of these guys up, and then I'm going to merge the call together, and they're all going to be on one track. And that's really, really cool because I'm actually going to be having two people from the same band on my podcast, and they're going to talk about the history behind their group. Now, I, I've, 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 I've said this before, like, you know, I've been trying to get these people on for a long time, but it hasn't happened. Well, now it's finally going to happen. I'm going to interview Pat Carrard and Frank Jekyll, 19th Century Food Company, next week. And I'm going to do it on Tuesday, probably put it out later on the week. Um, but I'm very excited to talk to these guys because this is definitely an interesting group that I'm going to cover when I, when I interview them because I actually did them on my podcast um, uh, you know, a while ago, and they have a very interesting history because they 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 came out at a time in the in the late '60s when there was a sort of split happening between the more progressive, harder psychedelic soul and rock music, you know, which was more keen to people to older baby boomers who were you know, very anti-Vietnam, wanting to, you know, and buying vinyl. And we're very much into this point. At this point in the 60s, you know, there was there were people that were 
very much, you know, out of the innocence of the early 60s and more into more the hard rock, sort of edgier, almost explicit music of the late 60s. And they wanted something more than just the traditional three-minute single. And they were listening to album. They were buying LPs of uh, for for art for different groups and artists. They weren't really buying singles. They were listening to FM radio. They weren't really, you know, at that point, they thought AM radio was not cool. They thought that AM radio was lame. And the the 1910 Fruitcom Company was a group that served the market of the younger. Uh, the younger demographic of the preteens who weren't interested in buying albums or in listening to FM radio. They still wanted that AM radio uh, pop sound that was big in uh, the early 60s. They wanted a version of that for themselves because they were too young for a lot of that sort of bubblegum stuff in the early 60s. They wanted their own version of that in which they could latch on to. And, you know, these are the same people who are watching the Saturday morning cartoons, you know, like the Banana Splits. They wanted and they, they wanted like their music. And the 1910 Fruit Company served that purpose of being a band that was catering to that target audience. And I'm very excited to have them on because um, these guys, I know for a fact they didn't stay on for the whole career of this band for all their hits. But I know that they were definitely involved in this group in the beginning. And I'm going to talk about how this, you know, when I interview them, I'm going to tell, explain, have them explain to you guys how they came came about as a group and what's the story behind how the group was formed and how they got a record deal and just sort of the conflicts they're having between their producers and their publishers and themselves as musicians. Because I have a feeling that these guys didn't really want to be bubblegum band to begin with, but I'll let them explain that a little bit better to you. But it's I'm very excited to have them on because... You know, like even though they weren't there for a lot of their really, really good hit songs they had, I think that they they know the songs because they did play them live later on. But I mean, I re- I'm really excited to have them on because basically when I when I have them on, I'm going to ask them like the record about the recording sessions for these songs, what kind of equipment they're using, what kind of tape machines they're using, the studios, the name of the studio, the engineer. And when have them talk about like how these how the the two hits that they were involved with you know actually broke out and how that how you know and also I'm gonna have them talk about their days on the road because these guys spent a lot of time on the road performing with many different acts in the '60s and late '60s, particularly in '68. So um, I'm gonna have them share them some road stories, how their songs be, became hits, what DJs broke their hit singles. I'm very excited to have them on because I think. It's really going to help you guys get get give you some perspective on this music and how nothing was really as it seemed back then. I mean, even though these guys are doing this kind of music, that just because they're doing the kind of music doesn't mean that they were into it. That that's what they wanted to do at the beginning with. So I'm very excited to have these guys on and have them share that story with you guys. Um, so if you guys have any questions about this group, they're called the 1910 Fruitcom Company. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to have, I'm definitely going to talk about even some of the songs that they weren't involved with, you know, just because there's, those songs are really, really kick-ass and they're really good. And I can't wait to just have them talk. And I, and I want to ask them about those songs too, even though they weren't, you know, even though they weren't there for when the songs were recorded and written, but still, I think it's worth it just to talk about, you know, those songs with them. But, um, you know, I'm very excited to, uh, to interview these guys and, uh, you know, just to, just to sort of go through the sort of their career of how the band started and sort of give them sort of an update on what they're doing right now as well. Because I think it's kind of important to just talk about where these guys are right now as far as their recording career is concerned. Are they still touring? What are they doing now? That's another thing I'm going to have them talk about when I have them on the podcast because it's very important that, uh, that I talk about that with them. So, yeah. Um, if you don't know their songs, well, I did them on my podcast a couple of years ago. I think it was last year. Uh, I did, I did one. I, the song it was one, two, three, red light, but they also had Simon says, "Man, take a giant step into your heart." Um, goody goody drum drops, the train, uh, special delivery, Indian giver. Those are a lot. This is just basically most of their hits, but um, they they had they had a, quite a, quite a few good songs that they put out. Um, not all of them were big hits, but most of them were quite good. And uh, and I'm going to have them dispel some, you know, misconceptual facts about them. Some things that, you know, a lot of a lot of misinformation that has been spread around around this group. I'm going to have them sort of dispel that for us because, you know, a lot of there's a lot of false information out there about this group. And I want and I want them to sort of, you know, clear up some of those misconceptions, you know, so that way we can kind of get down to the bottom of how 
you know, what, what they were all about and also, you know, show, you know, show them proof that they weren't just a studio group. Cause I think that's, I don't think that's true to be honest with you, but I'll have them explain that a little bit better than I can. But anyways, let's get started in this week's show. Moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so it's been a while since I've done a really early 60s song. Like from the first couple years of the 60s, like around 60 years ago this time. And uh, it, the interesting thing about music from the very early 60s, like 60, 61, 62, is that this is probably one of the most overlooked periods of, you know, music history ever. Um, it's just as, it's almost as overlooked as music from the 30s and 40s. Um, you know, it's definitely not as celebrated as the mid 50s when rock and roll was big or the mid 60s during the British invasion um, or the late 60s when during the psychedelic rock era um, or, you know, the whole the stereotypical 60s music of the late 60s. You know, the ones the music that everyone associates with the 60s music, the hate Ashbury sort of you know the psychedelic movement of you know the free love and you know that whole thing with Woodstock I mean that's that's what most people assume as 60s music and a lot of people don't really think about music from the early 60s at all especially the first couple of years of the 60s like 60 61 62 those those bits that particular part of the decade is very much forgotten about and not talked about and there could be a couple of reasons for this and it's not necessarily because the music wasn't good, because there were some really amazing songs that came out in the, in this part of the decade. Um, you know, just incredible songs, really good arrangements, really good songwriting, top top notch musicianship. I mean, you know, there was just some there were just some really really incredible songs that came out at this part of the decade. But the reason why this is not necessarily talked about in today's world at all, really. For the most part, I mean, except with the, with a few exceptions. I mean, Sam Cooke is someone that is is talked about quite a lot. I mean, there's some artists where, you know, Elvis is mentioned a lot. So I mean, yeah, there there is some talk about music from the early '60s, but it's very minimal. And it's not it's not like it's not very uh, you know exaggerated in the in, in the media these days at all. Anything before the Beatles is kind of forgotten about to a certain extent. Um, but there's probably a reason for this. And one of the, the one of the reasons is because um, a lot of music that came out of the very beginning of the '60s was not unlike music from the late '50s. Um, you know, because yeah, I mean, there was rock and roll in the, in the late '50s, and that kind of died down once the early '60s came about. But a lot of the pop music that was very big in the late '50s, and I'm talking like doo wop, I'm talking duets, the Teen Idols, all that was still going on in 1960, 61, 62. I mean, like the, the 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 very first three or four years, the '60s, were very much an extension of the late '50s. I mean, it was still the same kind of music. I mean, in the late '50s, you had the advent of Teen Idols, and you had the the you know the pop singers, and you had like, you know, doo-wop groups, and you had you know, and you had like the vocal groups. I mean, you know, though you know, big those are huge in the late fifties and that, and that music was still very big in the early sixties. I mean, that music was still not, was still very popular. I mean, it things really didn't change until the Beatles happened in early 64, like in February. So, um, you know, for a while, I mean the music, I mean, even like folk music, for instance, right. That was very big in the late fifties and it continued to be big into the early sixties. So, you know, it's the thing is, is that, a lot of people neglect the early '60s because it it just it just had it just felt more like an extension of the late '50s, and that's why people don't really talk about it because it just doesn't, you know, it, the '60s. A lot of people neglect it because it didn't quite sound like the '60s yet. It still kind of sound like the '50s. Um, but to be honest with you, you could say that about most decades of music. You could argue that the early '70s sounded a lot, like, hell of a lot like the late '60s. You know, and you could and you could probably argue that the early 80s still kind of sounded like the late 70s. So, I mean, like, you know, it's just every decade of music, the first two or three years pretty much sound like the last, you know, you know, like two or three years of the last decade. So there's always this bleed in of sounds and instrumentations and productions from decades, you know. So it's it, there's it's, sometimes it's hard to differentiate between a record that came out in 1972 the versus the record that came out in 68, 69. I mean, there's, 
you know, again, like, you know, the, you know, when the decade sort of the, the end, when the ends ends, in the beginnings of particular decades, when they get like a, sewed in together, a lot of times the sounds, you know, blend or there's very, you know, they inter the sounds intertwine. So it's very difficult to like, you know, tell a difference between a late 60s record, and early 70s record, because, you know, they're right next to each other. So, I mean, things that, you know, typically the, the most change happens in the middle of the decade. You know, most most of the change in seventies seventies music happened in the mid seventies with the advent of disco and punk rock and new wave and stuff like that. You know, and the same thing in the sixties. I mean, the sixties, mid sixties, you had folk rock and the British invasion. So, you know, again, it's like it, always in the middle of the decade is when the most change change happens with popular music, really. So, but the thing is, is that even though the earliest sixties sounded a lot like an extension of the late fifties. It's, it's important to not really ignore that part of the decade because there was a lot of important sort of, uh, you know, changes that happened with popular music in the early 60s. I mean, that was the era of dance craze music. That was the era of, you know, of like really, really good, um, you know, string arrangements and horn arrangements and, you know, different, you know, different things happening. That was the era of girl groups and teen idols and, you know, and that whole thing. And, uh, and also... People forget, I mean, like the Beatles were essentially got started in the early 60s. I mean, they started working together, you know, as a, as a cohesive unit in like 61, 62. So, I mean, same thing with the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys were, you know, they started out in the early 60s. So, you know, you can't diss the early 60s, you know, just because it was before the Beatles hit America and became blew up in America because... They were basically still, they were, they were getting their start in 1961, 62. So, you know, it's important to not neglect the early 60s is all I'm saying. And this week's song is from the early 60s. And uh, it's a really killer song, actually. Um, you know, and look, I get if you don't like this record, I understand that. But there's something really cool about this song. The rhythm is really cool. And the way the song is, uh, is, 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 is the, the arrangement of the song is fantastic. I love the arrangement of this record. It's so cool. Like the, you know, the, the instrumentation is great. It's got a very relatable, um, lyric and, uh, you know, the, the, the vocals are good. I mean, this is definitely a great sort of like doo-wop vocal groups, you know, record from the early sixties. And those are some of my favorite songs from the early 60s along with the instrumentals and the girl groups and the teen idols the doo-wop vocal group stuff was amazing and this is one of my favorite songs from that time and i'll be doing more of these in the future um i'll be doing more of these sort of doo-woppy sort of records from this time but you know it's a really really cool song and if you've never heard it before you're in for a real treat because this is a great great record um, I really like the, you know, the musicianship on this record and the vocal interplay too. the, the parts that they come up with, you know, when they sing is also awesome. Okay. So this record came out in November, 1961. It's by a group called the sensations. The name of the song is called let me in. Wow. This is a really good song. It kicks ass. It's fantastic. I mean, it's a it's a it's a rockin' song. It's super upbeat. It's uh it's it's a super really, really catchy upbeat song. And uh today we're gonna talk about what makes a song so good musically. Um, you know, but first let's lyrically too, let's talk about the music first. Okay, so you know, as far as the song's chord progression is concerned, there's not much to talk about here. Um, you know, it's just like it, the intro is five major two five, and then it goes back to the one, so the secondary dominant, and then one one five one, and then you know it goes one five one, and then basically one five. You know, it doesn't really do much. I mean, the in 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 the bridge, they they do a break. They go to the four, and then the one, and then, I mean, some some of the things are kind of cool because in that in the bridge, they actually do something kind of interesting where 
it's like they you know they they kind of they kind of do a sliding chord in between going from the five to the four and that's cool that's that's really unique because you don't really hear that that very very often um you know it's sort of like it's sort of uh, it's it's a weird chord kind of in between the f- the five and the four i'm not actually, I, I have to listen to it again to figure out exactly what it is because i know i can figure out what it is because i have perfect pitch but it's a weird chord that kind of slips in between the five and the four in that bridge, and then it you know, go e and then it goes to four one and then and then a major two five again the secondary dominant, and then you know some of the things some of the cool things happening musically are the harmonies in the song, because you know the intervals you know at the at the end of the bridge right where it kind of just where they kind of sing the hook of this song and then they kind of everything stops and then it does that and the single lead singer takes over and then the in the, the 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 harmony parts that this that the vocal group is singing kind of they kind of sl- do the sliding notes you know sort of at the end of the bridge at the going back to the main part of the song and that's kind of cool um you know just before they sing open up um, but again, I think the really cool part about this song is just the in the musicianship on this record. Because I will say this, um, you know, what's going on as far as the musicians playing on this record, it's fantastic. Um, you know, they're, they're playing on the song is unbelievable. Uh, you know, just the, the, the way the drummer is, you know, that the drumming on the song is insane. Um, it's like the, the drummer, you know, it just you think about the way the, the drum part in this song is is really, really difficult to play in time. You know, because he's doing this thing where it's like he's doing this, where it's like he's playing the upbeats on this on on he's playing the downbeats on the snare and the upbeats on the kick drum, but it's up down up down up down up down up down, and it's sort of like this sort of groove that it, it kind of it's it's hard to describe it. It, it has it's sort of a polka groove if you think about it the sort of up down up down up down thing it's kind of almost like double time to a certain extent but it's actually a little bit different it's a very it's kind of a polka groove but this polka groove is very difficult to play on drums and very well i mean it's a very strange uh thing you know it's a weird groove to hear in a pop song but it's cool you know the sort of polka groove where it's like the yeah the upbeat and the downbeat and it's like one and two and three and four and just having the having the eighth notes play that, you know just it's it's a very weird groove to play but it's very difficult to play on drums and do it well and in time, super strange, um but it's but it's a really good song I really, uh you know it, the 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 playing on the song by the by the drummer is fan freaking tastic. I mean, he kills it on this record when he when he when he does when he does that when he when he plays that part. I mean, like especially in the in you know at the beginning of the song, you know where he does that where he does those snare hits, the pop 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 pop. I mean, those eighth notes are cool too. Um, you know, at the beginning, you know where he does where it's basically like a, a eighth note snare hit. I mean, that's that's really cool too. And he kind of and he's doing this when he's hitting the hi hat too. So he's doing this like really, really difficult thing to do like fast. This is a very difficult groove to play very fast, you know, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and the, the drummer is definitely the star of the show in this song. He's a really, really good player on this record. And yet the other musicians are, are good, too. I mean, they're, they, you know, they're doing a good job of just playing the straight chords and doing nothing fancy because, again, this is a vocal group song. So the, the, the stars of the show should be the vocal group, the singers. So the musicians are just going to play the chords and just play it straight, do nothing fancy, and the, and the drummers can keep the time by creating the by doing the super weird polka groove, but he's doing it really really well. I like that a lot. And yeah, so also a cool thing about the song, the saxophone solo, that that's wild. I mean, the saxophone solo on this record is is cool. I mean, it's a lengthy solo. It's a long solo. I mean, he, the, you know, the, the saxophone sailor goes nuts. I mean, he goes crazy. And it's it's a really, and this is the other thing. So I, I know I've talked about this before on my podcast, but in the late 50s and early 60s, um, guitar solos were not cool. They were not really in vogue at that time. What was in vogue and was popular were saxophone solos, tenor sax solos specifically. I mean, Barry and tenor sax solos were big in the early 60s. I mean, so many records had them, and they were such an important, integral part of these records. I mean, the saxophone solos were cool. 
I mean, that one thing that kind of carried on from jazz went over to rock and roll. I mean, that, you know, that that saxophone solo thing was big in the late 50s and early 60s. Very, very big on pop records. And saxophone solos are very, very important to pop records. And it's really cool that, you know, he did that, you know, in the song. Because he's like, it's a highlighted part in this record. It's really, really cool. I mean, obviously, like, these guys never got credit when the song came out, unfortunately. But... They definitely should have because they, you know, the musicians add so much to the song, even if they didn't write these parts, even though even if these parts are written down, they're arranged by someone else. The, the musicians added so much to this record. It just makes it sound really, really cool. I definitely am a fan of this song. Um, you know, the piano playing is really cool, too. You know, the you know, again, you know, he's just playing the straight chords, doing nothing fancy. And uh, again, like the, the musicians are just laid back. They're just, you know, playing block chords, not really doing anything fancy on top of the, the drumming and the saxophone playing. I mean, that's that those those are things that carry this song along. And also that part in the bridge where everything stops and the lead singer takes over. That's really cool, too. That was a very common arrangement characteristics in the late 50s, early 60s. A lot of records had that. Uh, but now let's talk about the song's lyrics. And by the way, this song is definitely in my favorite key, B-flat major. Really cool. Um, but now let's get into the song's lyrics. Because this, you know, if you listen to enough songs from late 50s and early 60s, you'll hear this again and again in many different songs from this time. Uh, and that is the fact that these songs from, uh, you know, the, 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 the early 60s encompassed... Uh, a sort of, you know, a lot of these songs were about human, the human feeling and emotion of being left out and not being wanted or considered. And, uh, you know, and there's, there's a couple songs from this time that were like this. Um, there's a song called Party Lights by Claudine Clark, where it's basically about her mom. You know, she's, you have a teenage girl who wants to go to this party so bad and she just wants to have a good time, but her mom won't let her. Right? There's that. And then you had a song called Silhouettes by the Rays, which is late fifties. And uh the you know, the uh the the guy, the guy sees a girl and another guy behind a window and uh basically he you know he sees the shades uh you know pulled on the window, which where he can't see inside, but he sees the silhouettes of of a of a girl and another guy, and he gets super jealous and thinking that it's his girl with another guy. But then he but then he, he knocks on the door, he finds out later on that it's actually not his his girl, but someone else's girl and someone not the, you know, he mistook he mistook, you know, the girl that was behind the silhouettes on the shade for someone else and he reunites with his girl. I mean there's so many songs about feeling left out and not being wanted and this song is very, you know, typical of that human feeling and emotion. You know, like this girl, like, you know, she she sees what's happening inside this house and she really wants to become a part of it. And she's banging on the door being like, hey, please let me in so I can, you know, uh, can I can have fun and join in the fun. And and the fact of the matter is, is that she's not being let in. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's funny. You can hear that the commanding in her voice. And then she's like knocking on the door. Please let me in. Open up this damn door. I want to. I want to be a part of this. And and let me let me put it to you like this, right? Um, there. Even though this is 1961, it's before social media, before Instagram, before TikTok, before we had the ability to see what our friends are doing on our phones. If you if you ever go on TikTok, right, or Instagram. And you see your friends hanging out with hanging out and just having a good time, or maybe you're a guy, and you see your you're one of your really good guy friends hanging out with a bunch of girls having the best time in their life, or at least it appears to be that way, on social media. And now, obviously, you can't you know it's it, it gives you that same human feeling and emotion of jealousy that the girl is feeling in this song. You want to go to that location and you want to be like, "Come on, man, let me in. I want to join in the fun." Like. And she's feeling this exact same way in the song, even though the song was recorded 60 years ago, 61 years ago. I mean, she's feeling the exact same way. She wants to be let in on the fun. She's she can't stand being alone by herself and not not being a part of it. 
Um, you know, and again, it's that human feeling and emotion of jealousy. I mean, like, you know, and it happens all the time. Like, I mean, I see people hanging out with each other on social media, like all the time. And I wish I could be a part of it. I mean, I feel left out and this, and you know, it's the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, which is such a common thing on social media these days. That's exactly what this girl is feeling in the song. Even though the song was recorded way before social media ever existed, She's feeling the fear, fear of missing out, you know, and which is which is such a common thing these days with social media. She's feeling that in 1961, 62, except she's seeing it with her own eyes. She's not looking at a phone. She's seeing it in person. So she really feels a FOMO in this song, especially in the bridge where she's like she's feeling the the the, the party happening. She can sense it. She can hear the stomping on the floor. She could she could hear the music cloud as cloud as clear as day, and she just really wants to be a part of it. And she's kind of mad when she's up, kind of feels upset when her friend doesn't let her do that because she feels a little betrayed. Like, hey, I thought we were friends. Like, why aren't you letting me in on the party? Like, why wasn't I invited? And I feel that way a lot on social media. I mean, I look at my friends having a good time and I'm like, why wasn't I invited? Like, why didn't, why wasn't I included? And that's exactly how she feels in the song. So that's, that's how appealing this song is. It's super duper appealing because it's very relatable to something that could happen right now in 2022 versus something that happened 60 years ago. It's, I mean, it's the same human feelings and emotions, just different circumstances because they didn't have cell phones or social media back then, but now we do, but still the same human feelings and emotions she was feeling back then that you could feel the exact same way she's feeling in the song right now in 2022. If you're a young person and you're a millennial, you never heard any of these songs and you never heard this song before. So there is that. So it's a very relatable song. And, you know, since this is, since I'm doing an interview episode next week, now I'm going to get into the history behind this song and this group. So the Sensations were a Philadelphia group, right? And they started out in the name The Cavaliers in 1954, right? That was their original name. And they consisted of Yvonne Mills, Tommy Wicks, Alfonso Howell, and Hosea Harlison. That was the original name of the group, right? And they they start, you know, basically they they start out as the Cavaliers and they changed their name to Sensations. And uh, basically they had two hits on the R&B charts with... Uh, on, on ACO, a subsidiary of Atlantic Records, which were, yes, sir, that's my baby, please, Mr. Disc Jockey. And at the time, they were actually managed by a guy named Kay Williams. Now, there's an interesting story behind how they actually got managed by a guy named Kay Williams. And uh, basically what happened was that, you know, they, they broke up, you know, because they originally called themselves the Cavaliers, and they changed their name to the Sensations. And uh, the, when they when they changed their name to Sensations, uh, one of the group members received a call from Kay Williams, and Kay was also managing the group of sil the Silhouettes, and he was uh, was basically you know say hey I'm managing this really good group, group called the Silhouettes, and uh, they were calling them in the, their biggest hit at the time was a song called Get a Job, which was a big hit for them, a doo wop song, a big hit in '58, and uh, basically uh, what happened was that. Um, you know, uh, the, one, of, one of the members of the sensations, one of the, one, one of the guys in the silhouettes basically had to replace one of the guys in the, in the sense, one of the guys in the sensations replaced one of the guys in the silhouettes, you know, he was the bass singer in that group. So he sang with the silhouettes on tour actually. And his name was Alfonso. Alfonso actually took over for Raymond Edwards, who was the bass player for the Royal, for the, uh, for the for the silhouettes, and he sang with groups like the Royal Teens, Paul Anka, Huey Smith and the Clowns, Cloud McFadden, Laverne Baker, Every Brother, Sam Cooke, and basically what happened was that, um, you know, he he needed three days to think over the offer, and he basically, uh, you know, he 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 talked the group Yvonne and the rest of the group to join him for that tour, you know, which is basically the Irving Feld tour in Dayton, Ohio. And basically, you know, they, they, they reformed because of this tour. And basically, uh, you know, he learned all the songs like Get a Job and Miss Thing. And, you know, basically those, those are the songs that he worked on when he was on tour. And they, and they, hit, and they, they, they played in Dayton, Youngstown, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle, Spokane, Portland. And, you know, they, you know, they, 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 you know, they travel in two buses and, you know, Basically, you know, wrote, and Sam Cooke wrote in his own catalog, so he didn't, you know, ride in any of the buses. 
you know, basically every, every, that's basically how the group got their start. You know, uh, basically when that happened, you know, Alfonso didn't know uh, the release of their final ACO record. And basically, you know, they were, they were, they were essentially let go of their label at that point. And, you know, Yvonne Baker, you know, basically he, she had started recording for K. Williams Jr. label and, you know, Kay was pushed, was trying to get her to sing solo and, you know, and, you know, and just, just so that way there was no sensations, you know, but she, but she felt like she was better as a solo, as, as a, as a, as a part of a group versus a solo artist. So when then Silhouette's tour, you know, completed, Alfonso Howard basically he came back to Philadelphia and you basically Raymond Edwards, he, he came back with the silhouettes and he, and he, and he left his Alfonso, you know, left his career as an entertainer and basically he took a job at St. Luke's hospital and then he got married in 1960 and he had, and you know, basically what happened was that Alfonso turned, turned on the radio and heard one of Yvonne's solo records, why a difference love makes and, you know, he the song written by Van McCoy on the K. Williams Jr. label and hearing Yvonne's voice, you know, basically he made him think of his days with the group. In the fall of 60, uh, Alfonso Yvonne met again by chance a walk in 29th Street near Diamond. The two looked at each other and both blurred out and said, so let's start a group back up. So they basically got back together at this point. They had broke up and then they got back together. And then basically, uh, you know, he wanted and they wanted, but they didn't say who she didn't say who. So basically she got Tommy Wicks back and, you know, cause he was a lead singer and you want, and, and she wanted Yvonne to lead. And when, and basically what happened was that they got, they, 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 uh, they, they got, they got the group back together, which included Roosevelt Simmons and John Pancho Chris Christian. And they suggested songs for Alfonso audition one tenor who impressed Alfonso with Richard Curtin. Richard later uh, basically came over to Alfonso's house with a, with a baritone, George Minor, which had previously sung with the Philly group, The Hideaways, and more recently had been singing with the local clubs as soloists. I explained what, and he basically said, he explained what he expected to him, told him that they thought they were going to sing, you know, lead, they could forget it, and they were going to have one lead singer, and that and, that, and that's it, and they agreed. So basically what they did is that this is really cool. So they rehearsed as the sensations until they were ready to perform and record. And at the time, the latest lineup of the Universals consisted of Kent Peeler, Roosevelt Simmons, Johnny Poncho Christian, and, fell, and a fellow named Frank. And they were singing, and singing, and they were, and they were si- singing at Frank and Tommy Cook, the strangers who would later record Darling for Kate Williams, released on the Checker label. Uh, the strangers helped get the new sensations a couple of gigs at the Northeast Northwest Club to sharpen their skills. The sensations then began looking for a recording company, and after being rejected by several leaders, including Chandler, they got rejected by Chandler Records. Can you believe that? One of the biggest Philadelphia labels on the planet. I mean, they had Claude and Clark and Frankie Avalon, and then basically they, they ended up with Kay Williams. And they did a recording session at RPL Studios in Camden, New Jersey, which is right next to Philadelphia, actually. It's right in the border. And they recorded music, 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 a part of me, and basically some other songs. And, uh, you know, and basically what the thing is, is that, um, you know, they, you know, a lot, Alfonso put a lot of time in arranging the song until it was just the way he wanted. But Kay Williams had other ideas, and, and, and basically an argument ensued. In the studio, Alfonso went out. Kay knew, knew, however, he had the final say. Lately, when he mixed this, later when he mixed the song, he turned Alfonso's voice track down so low that Alfonso could barely be heard. Or ironically, it was up tempo music, music that took off. Kay Williams released Music, Music, Music by Argo Records in August of 61 and broke into R&B charts. And the group's biggest hit since yesterday, That's My Baby. The song spent seven weeks in Billboard's R&B charts, reaching number 12, and nine weeks on Cashbox's R&B charts, reaching number 22. Perhaps even more impressive music crossed over the bottom of the Cashbox charts, where it stayed for about seven weeks. Basically, the sensations appeared locally at some loca- the same locations that they had sung in the 50s actually and the the arrangement for music 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 came mainly from Yvonne's sister and Ernestine Edie Ernestine didn't really really like rock and roll and pop music she you know her her really she really loved gospel music and she was there for most of the writing sessions however and would always contribute uh to with what if you don't what if you do it this way let's try this and Ernestine's ideas always worked 
like music was still high on the charts. Ernestine came up with Yvonne and Fonzo with a new song. Idea let me in. The three sat down in Yvonne's house and worked on the details of the song. So the they recorded Let Me In at RPL Studios in Camden, New Jersey, and they and they arranged and practiced the song with Alfonso doing a bass introduction. And after a bunch of unsuccessful takes, the group took a break. And then Yvonne started joking around with a Let Me In, Wii You Wii You part. And the group began backing her with that Wii You part and Kate Williams liked the hook. And again against Alfonso's objections, that's the way that it was recorded. So Argo Records released the song in late November 61. It was already starting to sell big before it was reviewed by the National Trade Magazines in January 62. So it came out 60 years ago around this time. It was on the charts 60 years ago. That's pretty cool. And it came out 61 years ago, like basically around this time, 60 years ago, which is awesome. And uh, and this is really – and also I like that part, those vocal group parts. That's really cool. We talked about that, about how – you know, vocal groups, you know, basically vocalize own instrumental parts, just like, you know, they, they did a lot of scatting. And that's that was a very common thing in duop music at the time to sort of vocalize your own instrumental parts. And uh, basically, the musicians on Music, Music, Music and Let Me In, you know, on who played on the musicians that played on these songs include Sam Reed on sax, Slim Howard on piano, Coatesville Harris on drums, Harry Pope on guitar, and Mal Gaines on bass. And basically, you know, the Alfonso said, hey, you know what? Sam Reed's sax changes, you know, definitely help sell the record. Basically, and when it when it, basically when they work locally, they begin to, you know, start prepping for touring again. And basically, uh, they, 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 their, their first out of town gig was in Chicago in early November 61. And they play with Adele's The Clovers of Vibrations, Piano Red, Mystic Collar and Starring Little Anthony. While in Chicago, Alfonso sought to constructive criticism in the group's staff from people he trusted, and he said, "This is what people said: your group is not together." Alfonso was told, "The guys does this, does this, and the guys does that. Your actions are different." So he thought that the group was, you know, kind of on their own plan; they weren't a cohesive unit. So he basically took the he took he took in the comments with a grain of salt and remembered them. And then when the group returned to Philly, the next show was a Georgie Woods production of Philadelphia's Uptown Theater in no, late November, early December 61. The sensation replaced him year on the show and also contributed and also on the bill. The Spinners, The Vibrations, Bobby Lewis, The Miracles, The Miller Sisters, Joe Tex, and The Blue Notes, Bill Macy, piano player, The Uptown Man, quickly brought the sheet music ranges to let me in. And music, 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 The Blue Notes at the time include Harold Melvin. Frank Franklin Peeker, Roosevelt Brody, and former Turban Al Banks. Again, Alfonso saw criticism this time for Spinner's bass, Purvis Jackson, as well as Helvin Mel Harold Melvin Al Banks. He advised the same. The group's not together. Was to be saying good, but looked ugly. Recalling <laughs> Yvonne Baker, they, he didn't, they, they sang good together, but it looked ugly on stage. That's when I decided to get a choreographer. We had to clean up our act. We had, to both, we had both records and music. Music let me in going on at the same time. Alfonso Cray's friend for former member of the Universal Strangers, Sterling Tommy Cook, to help with the choreography. Alfonso had some routines already needed to refine them. The pro pro he proclaimed the group that Tommy Cook would be working with them to clean up the routines. Anyone, including himself, who failed to get the steps down would be gone. After working on the dance and the stage routines, it became painfully obvious that George Meyer didn't fit in. So this is when the group was starting to fall apart. Alfonso wanted Tommy Cook. Tommy Cook to join the group, but wasn't available at the time. Instead, they got Sammy Armstrong. Sam had studied drums in school, but had performed with a raise of silhouettes fame, which had sang at Philly's Uptown Theater. Sam became the sensation in baritone. In the meantime, Let Me In was rapidly climbing up the R&B and pop charts. The song was spent 15 weeks in CastBox R&B charts, including two weeks number one, similarly reached number two, and 14 weeks in Billboard R&B charts. And uh, Let Me In also did well in the pop charts. It, it topped number three in Cashbox charts, and in the middle of the 18th week run, that's when it happened. And Billboard had the song at number four. The Sensations knew they were big because each minor trans transgression, their manager Kay Williams would send them memos saying, "You're the number one group in the country. Please act accordingly." <laughs> Man, now during the week of February 6th, the Sensations returned to New York's Apollo Theater as part of the Ralph Cooper Show. Actor, DJ, and promoter Ralph Cooper had made the name for himself at Apollo, but not pursued. A show that, like that in many years, he returned with featuring singers Bobby Bland and his band, and who was at the time was on your love light. Also on the show were the Corsairs, the Angels, Crystals, Ed Sills, Aretha's sister, Irma Franklin. 
uh, from the Apollo Sensations, Bobby Bland, Corsairs, Crystals, Move of the Royal Theater, in Baltimore and Howard Theater in Washington. They were they were the joined these two cities with uh, by Al T and T Braggs in March '62. The Sensations head south. 31 days soon with the Sam Cooke tour. Besides Sam the Sensation, the tour included Gladys Knight and the Pips, B.B. King, Barbara George, and MC Bill Murray. Gladys Knight was left to tour after the first few shows. So this is really interesting. So, um, you know, the you know the, the Sam Cooke tour is Alfonso's first excursion in the South, performing the original Sensations, performing the Cardinals, Richmond Music Theater in 1956. Sam Cooke tour went all through the Deep South in Alabama and Mississippi. And that's where Alfonso learned about the pre, about the civil pre civil rights era America. Audiences everywhere were segregated. Most restaurants, hotels were off limits to Black Americans, including entertainers. Occasionally, a restaurant seeing few profits and busload of customers would serve the they would serve the tour, but the profits were basically um, yet a few miles down the road. The gas station would not allow the female members to tour across the the, the rest of the, when the, the, they wouldn't they wouldn't let the females go inside the restrooms, which is pretty crazy. Oh my god! I mean, this is insane. I mean, upon returning to Philadelphia, the Sensations began preparing for the next recording session. Caleb Williams brought in Andre Williams to New York Parks, the Northwest Club. The Sensations watched the duo saying, That's my desire, which added this, which was added to the Sensations repertoire. And the record that in May of 62 is Sam Antrom's last session in the group. He left the Sensations soon afterwards to spend time with his family. Tommy Cook, who is now available, was added to the Sensations roster. Tommy Cook's first performance of the Sensations was again in Chicago and Gene Chandler and the Duques. During that weekend, May 25th, the Sensations appeared at the James Brown Show, the Apollo Theater. The show featured James and the Famous Flames, um, you know, Alantu, Tunji, and this group of tr- troopers, dancers, and singers, including singer Von Fair, Texas Blue guitarist Curly, Curly Mays, comedians, comedians Pygmy Markham, Chuck Thompson, Edna Mae Harris. Meanwhile, the follow-up to Let Me and That's My Desire peaked at number 24 in the Castbox R&B charts during May and June 62, or Desire made the cash box charts only reach number 85. So that was on the pop charts. So New York, the Sensations may will return to be a final appearance of the Apollo during the week of July 62. The Sensations shared the stage with Chuck Jackson, Spoke Robinson, and the Miracles, of course, here is the Chantels and the Parkettes. The backup band belong, you know, belonged to Reuben Phillips. Sensations' fourth Argo release, Party Across the Hall, was an obvious answer to let me in and received good reviews in trade magazines. Billboard magazine stayed in August 25th. Party Cross Hall is a swinger and medium tempo groove. The, the side features good vocals by, by, the, by the lads with a group of company combo with a, uh, the company combo uh, adding to the sound. They rate it, meaning song, strong sales potential. Party received some airplay but failed the chart and didn't match success of the previous release three singles. The flip was a beautiful ballad, no changes, and what would turn out to be a sensation's last out-of-town gig. The group shuttled off to Chicago November 6-2, and they played the Regal Theater with Bobby Blam, Rita Franklin, Roy Hamilton, Ruth Brother, Tams. And the sensations were booked until until January through Midwest, but where the those gigs were canceled with essentially bad winter weather. So this is when things really uh didn't uh didn't really pan out for the group. And then Argo seized the opportunity to issue an album by the Sensations, released the record stories before Christmas 62. The group was not pleased with the material using the album, nor was nor, nor the rush to record it. The group could not get in the single to record XYZ. They didn't like the song and gave it a somewhat less enthusiastic performance. Hoping King the Argo Manager would scrap it, they didn't. One song the group did like was the tune Slim Howard vocal, Twist and Blues. In the final mix, however, Kay boosted Yvonne's vocals above the rest, so you couldn't hear the harmony. Even worse, Argo's rush to rushed to have the entire album recorded in one day. To me, Alfonso Burley, you know, said the album was junk thrown together. You don't need, you don't do a whole album in one day. I didn't like the liner notes either. They should have talked to talk about the history of the group instead of starting with the first sensations group. I didn't like the photo cover though. You say he, he actually did like the photo cover despite the flaws sensations sold fairly well. And this is when things really, you know, this is kind of when things were down downhill with the group, right? They had two or three singles that flopped. And like we talked about last week, I mean, like, you know, basically when 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 a group was was struggling to have hit singles, a lot of times record labels drop them because they were investing money into the group by paying for the recording sessions and these and they couldn't pay their their rec, paying their advance back by selling records because the records weren't selling anything. This was before the digital age. 
So they couldn't recoup their advances. So a lot of times these record labels dropped a lot of their uh, a lot of the artists. They couldn't pay back a lot of the money they were owed to label because they weren't selling enough records, and therefore the late you know a lot of these artists got dropped. And I'm sure, um, you know, the thing is, is that they were under contract with Kay Williams, but not just Argo. And Kay recorded the group and sold some singles on Argo, keeping his others for his junior label. And most of the sensation recordings during the period of time were backed by the Red Prize Oc, by, by Red Prize Oc band. So this is really, really interesting. Um, you know, just a lot of a lot, a lot of good stuff here. You know, talking about the sensations. Um, you know, very, very, very fascinating information. Now, I'm I'm pulling a lot of this information from an internet article, by the way. Um, that is, you know, that is very, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, um, you know, it, it talks about this group and very much in detail, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, they, you know, you're not going to get this information anywhere else, by the way, this is a lot of very cool details about this band that, you know, you're not going to get really anywhere else. So I'm going to wrap up in a few minutes and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the Sensations and then we'll get going. As I was saying, they continue to put out singles. The Sensations were in a contract. They basically, the, you know, their next single, You Make a Fool Out of Me Back With That's What That's We Gotta Do, first came out in junior in January 63. And You Make a Fool Out of Me was written by Ernestine, though Yvonne, the group, also contributed the song. It was distributed locally. The record was one WIBG's top 100 tracks for three weeks, reaching number 62, 61. Earned the sensation appearance on Green Greenhurst Steel Pier television show. When the record started to sell around Philly, Casey leased the VJ records when it came out on the Tolly label in '64 for the same session. Kay Williams also released "Foolishly Yours." There's no There's no to you. Alfonso's all vocal arrangements "Foolishly Yours." He had been trying to get Yvonne to record the Savannah Churchill tune for some time, and was part of the result. The entire sensation group was on the recording. When the record came out, however, labels Craig it was going to solely Yvonne Baker. Kay Williams was trying to push Yvonne as soloist. Alfonso wished Yvonne success, but was upset the group was not giving credit. He also feared that the fact that there was such a move would have this would would affect such a move. This he also feared what kind of effect this group this move would have on the sensations. Meanwhile, Yvonne's early solo release of a different love makes was sold by K Records by K to Jamie Records when who issued it again. Early in 63, the Sensations did three different shows with DJ Jocko Henderson, all at the State Theater, West 52nd Street, and Wallen Street in Philadelphia. The first was done by Sam Hawkins with sec with James Poke Poke Pokey Hudson and James Moms Mabley and Jackie Moms Mabley at a James. On the third appearance, Sensations entered the stage only one by one music of TARDIS theme, complete with introductions. It's probably the sharpest they ever look. In April of 63, the Sensations recorded Father Dear for Argo. While previous sessions also been held in New Jersey, the group went in Chicago for this one. Bobby Lester, former lead of the Moonco's at the studio when the side was cut and helped with the arrangement. The fact that Bobby's voice can be heard on the record, adding some harmony. The group, along with Bobby Lester, also recorded When Love Comes Marching Home, a Vietnam War-related takeoff, and When Johnny Comes Marching Home, When Lover Comes Marching Home, actually, written by Ernestine. It also included number Pick Up, which would remain unreleased. Father did not sell it, and it was the group's last Argo release. Around this time, the group also recorded It's Good Enough for Me, You Were Meant to Be, and Junior, which really only received only local attention. And then gradually, the sensations fell into inactivity. Tommy Cook left, and the group the group was called to appear on K. Williams' 1965 25th anniversary on a radio concert. B.B. King of the Cadillac Club had to reinstate Sam Armstrong. Sensations did continue recording Baby Love Love, produced by Richard Barrett, which is which issue on Junior as musical style changed with the times. Sensations evolved into soul group from their last session in Junior. Sensations even imported musicians from Detroit and give the groups more of a Motown flavor. And this, ironic, this is ironic because Motown record executive Edward Adner and Smokey Robinson each tried to lure Sensations to Motown and many times in the past. The group cut I Can't Change and Mend men the, men the Torn Pieces. So this is kind of interesting. There's a lot of interesting stuff with here. Artistically, though, artistically, the sound and the sensations were never really accepted by the public as a soul group. Perhaps they never got the need. Perhaps they they probably they never got the promotion or they needed, or maybe it was the emergence of the British invasion. Some groups made the transition from fifties harmonies to soul. Most didn't. The reason the reasons remain one of the reasons one of the great mysteries of urban harmony history. So basically, what the in a nutshell. This group was very big in the early late 50s, early 60s. 
you know, doing sort of this vocal group doo-wop harmony sort of thing that was big at the time. But the thing is, is that they couldn't really, um, you know, transition into the very much up-tempo R&B soul thing that Lil Anthony Imperials were doing. And some of the other groups were doing like the Drifters, um, you know, because there is this, you know, shift with popul- the popularity of this sort of a late 50s, early 60s doo-wop thing that wasn't that huge anymore once the mid-60s came around. Then Uptown Soul became more of a bigger thing. And a lot of, you know, a lot of those late 50s, early 60s doo-wop groups struggled into basically transitioning themselves into that sort of sound. The Uptown Soul thing. Little Anthony Imperials, on the other hand, were one of the first groups to really, um, you know, make that transition and have this and have success with it. But the Insensations didn't do that. And everything I just told you, by the way, and again, I apologize if I was going way too fast. I probably should slow down when I'm recording these podcasts, but sometimes I speed up quite a bit. But everything I just told you came from this really cool PDF article about the sensations and it's way more than what wikipedia is ever going to tell you about the sensations a lot of really cool information in there okay um you know if you want the link to it just let me know but a lot of times when i do these podcasts when i talk about the history behind these groups i try to find certain things on the internet that'll give you way more detail about a specific group from the 60s than what wikipedia or any of these other publications will give you so I try to find something that will just, you know, really dive into the history of the group. And I learned something from reading that, too. I didn't know that Motown was trying to pick them up, which kind of makes sense. They, you know, they kind of they they felt like they were trying to get into that Motown scene. And it makes all the sense in the world that Motown was trying to pick them up. I mean, Argo was this city of Chess and Chess was affiliated with Motown because Billy Davis was an A&R guy and he worked for Chess. And before that, he was affiliated with, with with Motown. So, I mean... You know, it makes all the, well, actually he, he, he wrote with, um, with Barry Gordy, you know, who, who later won a form Motown records, Barry Gordy didn't stick with chess. He, he formed his own label, Bill, Del, Bill Davis went to chess instead of Motown. So that's the connection between Bill Davis and Motown. But, you know, I hope you guys found that interesting. Again, I apologize if I went too quickly, if I was reading information way too fast, it was too much for you to process. I can send you this PDF article when you know if you want to read it, but um, hope you guys found that interesting. So that concludes episode number one hundred sixty-five of my sixty music podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and you found and if you found out some really really interesting stuff about this group, and you never knew anything about them, or you're like Sam, you went way too fast, man. You should have went slower. I was. Hard for me to process all this information. Um, you know, just if you, I know, you, you know, you, I, you were reading from a document online, send it to me. I want to read more about this group. Um, if, you, if you had a hard time processing this information, let me know. I, I, I really want your feedback on, you know, on, on when I do this podcast, because sometimes I go fast. I go really, really fast. But then, you know, I, I'm not always aware of the fact that I'm going too fast. But it'd be cool if you can tell me that. Or if my speed is just fine. I mean, let me know. Um, you can do that by emailing me at samltwilliaicloud.com. Or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies. And uh, you can also check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. And as per usual, things you can check out in the description of this episode of this podcast include um, the uh, my, my EP that came out um, last year. Really, really good, by the way. You should definitely listen to it. I love those songs on the EP, and I'm going to record another one soon. Um, actually, I should probably let you guys know this because I feel like this is something that, you know, you should get, you guys should get um, a, a, a grasp on or something that you guys should know. Um, so the next EP that I'm going to record are four original songs that I wrote last year. So four brand new ones. And... I decided this is really cool. This is going to be really, really neat. You're going to hear Turquoise Apricot again. But it's going to be a different version of it. It's going to be the extended long version of Turquoise Apricot. Yes, I am doing a long version of Turquoise Apricot. It's going to be like twice as long as the original version that's already out on Spotify that you can listen to right now everywhere. 
Um, but it's going to be a super long version of it that's going to have extended solos and extended parts. It's going to be like the FM radio album rock version of Turquoise Apricot. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to re-record the song and extend it and make it longer. So that's going to be so awesome. You guys are going to hear the song again, but a totally different version or, you know, more or less the same arrangement, but it's going to have so, so many, it's going to, it's going to have extended, it's going to be extended. It's going to be longer. It's going to have way more solos. It's going to be way more psychedelic. I can't wait for you guys to hear that. Plus the four new songs I wrote last year. So um, really, really excited to record those. I can't wait for you guys to hear these songs are really, really good. But in the meantime, Please go listen to my EP. I would really, really appreciate it if you can do that. Um, you know, also you can check out the two interviews I did last year. Um, I, I really put a lot of thought into the answers to those questions of those interviews that I did. So you're going to learn a lot about me from reading those podcast interviews. You know, they're very informal about me specifically. If you if you don't know anything about me, so I mean, sorry. If 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 you if you if you listen if you read those interviews with Hawk Magazine Shot LA, you'll learn so much about me because I definitely I didn't I didn't half-ass answers to those questions. I did a very I did very thorough answers to those questions. So please read them. Definitely let me know what you think of them. Um, if you want to meet me after reading those, please don't be a stranger. I'd love to meet up with you. Um, you can do that by emailing me at samltwilliatcloud.com. Let me know if you're in LA. Let's meet up. I definitely want to talk to you. And if you if you're a fan of this podcast, especially if you're a millennial, if you like this podcast and you're a young person, please talk to me. I really want to talk to you. Hook up with me. Follow me on Instagram. Reach out to me. Love to meet you in person. You know, especially if you're a fan of this podcast and you're a fan of my music too. Um, also, as per usual, you can check out the Spotify and YouTube plays for this podcast, and those things are also in the description of this episode of this podcast. Now, when you listen to now when you listen to those playlists, keep in mind those are all the songs I've talked about on my show. So you're gonna hear all the songs that I've done on my podcast. I've talked about them. So you know, you're gonna hear the full length versions on, you know, on you know, the thing is is that when I do the show, I only play a small clip of each song. So if you want to hear the full length version, you got to head to those playlists and listen to the full length version. I curate those. I add, the, I, I, I update them every week. So please go listen to them. Um, you know, and you know, definitely let me know if it, if it sparks any ideas in your head as to songs I should talk about next time podcast. And I haven't yet. Please, if you have any of those ideas, please email email them to me at samltwilliamicloud.com, or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldly. So if you have Spotify and YouTube, go check those out. Also, please check out the official Redbubble merch store for this podcast. You know, the thing is, is that I could really use your guys' financial help right now. So the more stuff you purchase from my store, the more I'll be able to keep continuing to do this podcast. And that's actually something I wanted to mention before I conclude this episode. Very, very soon, I will be introducing a new thing on my podcast where you will have to pay in order to listen to certain episodes. Um, and... I know that this might disappoint you if you if you enjoy listening to the show totally for free. And I get that you might not be able to afford to listen to my podcast, but I do need your guys' financial support with keeping this moving the show forward because I, I need to be able to make this payment uh, for, you know, this $119 a year payment for this podcast for this hosting service because they are charging me, you know, for me to do this podcast. So please... I would love it if you guys could subscribe to the show and, you know, I would really, really appreciate it. I'll make it reasonable. I'll figure out a price that's, that's, that's really, really affordable. I won't, it won't be crazy expensive, but I definitely need your guys' help with uh, keeping, moving the show forward. I'm about to do it with Supercast. So definitely let me know if, you know, if you're interested, you know, or please, if you love this show, definitely consider subscribing. Because, you know, there is a value to the information that I talk about in this podcast, and I think that it's worth spending money on. You know, because like I said, I try to curate specific interviews that feature really cool behind-the-scenes details and records you won't get anywhere else. So please go do that. I'd really appreciate it. I'll, you know, I'm setting it up currently. I'll let you guys know when it's all set up. But, you know, that's something you'll see. I mean, you'll see an option you can... You can listen to this podcast for free or pay a subscription fee. I'd really appreciate it if you can pay the subscription fee because you would helping me. You would be helping me out a lot by doing that. So please go do that. I would really appreciate it. You know, because the more money you get from me, guys, the more I'll be able to keep continuing to do this podcast, the more I'll be able to be able to make that payment. 
uh, in, in, a, in a few months. So please go do that. I really appreciate it. Okay. So that's the new thing that I'm introducing with this podcast this year. It's the only new thing I'm doing. It's just it's, it's something I'm going to keep doing from now on because I don't need to be able to pay to do this podcast. So I need to be, you know, I need to make this payment. So please go do that because you would be helping me out. You, you, you also help keeping this music alive, too. You know, you, you help you be helping keeping this great music from the 60s still alive and still talked about to this day because I don't see anybody else talking about this music on podcasts, to be honest with you. Or if they talk about it, they don't talk about the really under the radar, underrated stuff from this time. They always stick to Motown. They always stick to British Invasion. They always stick to the more mainstream stuff, but not really the underground stuff that I really talk about in the show like like this week's song, no one really, no one's really knows it unless you grew up listening in this era. If you're like a, if you're a baby boomer in your early seventies, you know this song. If you, if you're a record collector, but if you're not, then you don't know this song. So I mean, I'm really trying to educate younger people about music from this time they may not even be familiar with. Even even past millennials, even I would argue even even some Gen X maybe not know this song. Well, they might if they grew up listening to all these radio, but they didn't. They might not know this song either. So it's really important that I keep doing this show and I keep it alive. And you would help me do that by, you know, basically paying a subscription fee to listen to the show. And I promise I will, you'll deliver to you content that will be worth paying for. I can guarantee you that. So please go do that once I have it all set up. But yeah, so it's going to be really cool. Um, I'm Sam Williams, and thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, Money Hoover Back Machine. Thanks for supporting me since the very beginning. Until next week, please keep things groovy.